So let's get to it. A big welcome to Nico, co-founder and CEO of Talent Lifecycle Solution Platypus and former talent leader at the likes of Revolut, Pecon, um, and the company where we first met back in, I think, 2015, um, yeah. Unity Technologies. Um, so, Nico, really happy to have you on the show today. Um, how's it all going for you? Um, you're based and sat in Copenhagen at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all good on my side. Uh, great day so far. The weather is good, a bit windy in Copenhagen. Um, not Danish, though. I mean, you can hear the accent. I can never hide this for um, <laughs> a long time. I'm French. Um, but yeah, no, everything is good. And yeah, like we met at uh, Trinity in 2015. It feels like it was eight years ago. Yeah, for sure. I think we've both been quite busy since then. <laughs> yeah. So you've lived and worked in France, obviously, uh, the yeah. Netherlands, India, Ireland, the US, I think the UK too, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah, what's the story there? Um, well, apparently I'm not a big fan of France, uh, but uh, no, <laughs> I think it's, uh, um, there, there was not really any plan, to be honest with you. It was more a question of uh, uh, if there was something that was interesting in terms of opportunity, and uh, uh, I, I would go for it. HP, for instance, uh, India, I worked in India for four years uh, at HP, and I thought at the time when I was uh, early days in my career, it was a great move. Um, and in retrospect, I'm glad I did it when I was in my early 20s because I don't think I would now married with kids, you know, relocate to India. It would be a little bit more complicated. Um, so uh, no plans, really. The UK, uh, on and off, when I was working at Revolut, I was doing three days per week in London uh, and the rest of the time in Copenhagen. That was pretty heavy. Um, but uh, I, I think now it's just Copenhagen is just a great spot for me. It's a, it's a beautiful city. It's a, there's a lot of things happening. It's a good place. Awesome. So you're in Copenhagen, you're building your own business. Um, what led to, I guess, the idea and the founding of, of Platypus? Right. So Platypus, I think like, uh, like you said, you and I met when I was working at Trinity uh, and you and I have like a, uh, well, let's just say we're not in our 20s anymore. So we have a, a broad experience. No, Afraid broad not. experience. <laughs> Broad experience when it comes to recruitment and HR, right? And uh, and the idea of platypus uh, very much came overnight, a bit like a, you know, like a, a movie uh, a scene, like an epiphany moment on the 29th of Jan last year. Um, I had a knee surgery early in Jan last year, uh, and when you do a knee surgery, you can't move. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, I was stuck on the sofa for like three months, um, and I was doing a lot of football manager for every. I mean, anyone that knows this video game, it's a very data-driven approach to football. Um, and then I was uh, taking a lot of morphine for the pain, and I, I really think it's a mix of morphine, football manager, 15 years of, of recruitment and HR. And at the moment, at 2 a.m., when I woke up next to my wife and I said, "Love, I have a great idea," and she was like, "Yeah, it's 2 a.m. Like you get." <laughs> down write your great idea but the old concept of, of platypus came came out of this of like okay like uh, let's bring data like uh, um, bring more data um, where there's no data basically mm. interesting origin uh, yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love true that story, story too true story too. <laughs> you and I have discussed that one before it's brilliant so um, so following on from that 2am you know, vision. Um, what's the yeah. mission and vision for the business now? So the vision of for the business, and 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 I think it's anyone that has worked in recruitment is going to relate to what I'm saying. And and just now, 
how many times that has happened to you that you find a great candidate or what you believe as a recruiter is a great candidate, you present it to the hiring manager uh, and they come out of the interview, they're like, yeah, great guy, great skills, like perfect candidate. I just don't think it's a cultural fit with the organization. And you're like, yeah, okay, based on what? Based on the fact yeah. that you don't see yourself Tell me more. lunch or a beer with that. Really exactly. I mean, this is pure personal bias without any mm -hmm. kind of data. And, and more importantly, as a recruiter, you can't fight back. You can't push back because you don't have data. There's nothing you can use to argue your case. And, and that's the idea of, of Platypus at the start is like, let's bring data around like, uh, what are the values of people? How, what is important to you? Build a profile around your values, what you care for. And, and more importantly, let's build a company profile of values and, and look at the real culture, the true culture of the organization versus the beautiful words people love to put on, on the wall. The beautiful words on the wall are a mission statement. I believe they're a mission statement. It's something you want to, it's a code of conduct, something you, you go for. The example I always use, as a French person, I'm allowed to make jokes of my country, of course. Liberté, égalité, fraternité is a beautiful statement. It really is. If you ask anyone living in France, what is the culture of France, those words are not going to come up. Because there's a difference between the mission statement and the actual culture. Words coming up are probably going to be food, strike, and cigarette, right? Um, I'm making jokes, but that's the, that's the difference between the mission statement and the culture. What Platypus allows you to do is discover what is the true culture of your organization, right? What are the values of your people? What your people stand for? And you can now look if the people that are joining or about to join your organization, are they aligned with those values or not? That's Platypus. Bring more data. Perfect. So essentially, it's kind of understanding the culture in the existing workforce, so you can use that as a, a valid data set when, when assessing new people coming in. Exactly, exactly. And it's not systematically um, uh, looking for the perfect match, but it's having the tools to be able to, like, do I want alignment in my culture? Do I want to create disruptancy in my culture? Bringing you data, right? Perfect. Makes good sense. And I can certainly relate to that use case um, of not a culture fit. Uh, as feedback yeah. and pulling, pulling my hair out, asking for tangible yeah. feedback so I can iterate as a recruiter um, and avoid the same thing next time. Cool. So you've scaled teams at some very cool organizations, Yahoo, Trustpilot, Revolut, Unity, um, and now you're in, in, in the saddle um, scaling your own team. Um, I think you're about 16 people so far, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd be keen to understand your own approach there, right? You must have had a ton of learnings from scaling at different organizations that you can now use to, I guess, be ultimately a, a far stronger and wiser hire yourself. So I'm touching wood here. You would think so, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, on the bright side, I don't have a hiring manager telling me I don't think it's a cultural fit. Um, <laughs> um, so... I think, uh, so we're 17 as of uh, uh, last week. We had uh, a new cool. person. Um, yeah, very happy with this. Um, the way we looked at it uh, was doing like, you know, the old school approach of like, where do we want to be, right? Where, where should we be in six months, 12 months, 18 months down the line in terms of the product, the revenue, the organization, the traction and so on, right? And then, okay, step back. In order to be here, we need to be there. We need to be there. We need to be there. So what skills do we need to have? Um, and, and to be able to, uh, to look at what skills do we need to have, a good assessment of like, what do we have in the organization? Who is good at what in the organization? And more importantly, who's very weak at what in the organization? I can't code. I mean, like I can't code. So we probably need to put muscles here and everything. What type of muscle? Um, and then look at, you know, like uh, 
uh, best case scenario, okay, we need to find those people and everything. But I think you and I know from scaling so many organizations that it's absolutely never best case scenario, right? Um, and uh, and then it's looking at like, okay, um, we need a person X. Let's say for uh, we need we need a we need a backend developer, right? Um, what I usually try to do when I talk with the, the the person hiring in my team or myself is like, we need one must have and three nice to have. Perfect candidate mm -hmm. don't exist. And our, our stage, maybe the likes of Unity, Revolut, Google, they can attract the perfect candidate. We can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, as simple as this, we can't. So like, be super hard on like, what's the one must have? What are the three nice to have, right? Then, then we can probably like, uh, uh, be harder on, on trying to find candidates. I hate the, uh, uh, the good old, and I've seen it in so many scaling organizations. I'm sure you've seen it as well. The higher fast, higher fast. I mean, this I think is a, uh, is a, uh, an absolute waste of time, money, I mean, reputation, everything. Uh, we took our time. We, we were very uh, adamant that uh, uh, this is too critical, early days uh, to, to mishire. It's always painful to mishire, but early days, it's basically a question of life or death, right? Mm. Um, so uh, taking our time, talking a lot with people. I don't like the term interviews. We took a lot of people for chats, discussion, explaining our vision and mission, right? Trying to, uh, to uh, engage people on, on what we want to build. Um, it's really not, I think you and I again can agree on this, it's not an exact science of Twitter. It really is not. So it's accepting yeah. that we're probably going to fail. Uh, try to limit um, the, the, the risk, all the risk that uh, inherent recruitment as much as possible. And obviously we use our tool uh, a lot. Uh, you know, eat your own dog food, right? Um, and, and that helped a lot for us as well. Cool. I like that. Two really interesting things I picked up on there. One is having one key skill that you're hiring for and three desirable, many organizations will, will flip that the other way around and have a long list of yes. essential and desirable. And the approach to interviewing, I think, um, I think one of our, our team internally, a guy called Steve Winter has a very firm view on this as well. You know, it's not an interview, it's a conversation, it's a meeting, discussion, uh, yep. particularly in an early stage organization, like you say, you need yes. to bring people in. Totally agree with that. It's no um, more into, I mean, we're not in 1985 and uh, it's like uh, the FBI <laughs> with the light in your face. People like, or like when I have my, uh, even people in my team that don't really have a background in HR recruitment, they're like, yeah, so we're going to see the two of us with the candidate. Like, no, no, you're not going to do a two-on-one. -on -one. That's not how it works anymore. That this is supposed to be a place where the person, it's supposed to be playing field, right? Like we are in, I tell you about myself, you tell me about yourself. If it's two-on-one, -on -one, it's already a, a position of power. It doesn't mm. work. It's a chat. I like that a lot. And what would you say, we've already touched on a couple of pieces here, but what's the one piece of advice you'd give to other founders when it comes to, to building teams at, at an early stage? And, and you and I know there's fundamental differences between attracting your first 50 hires versus, you know, 500 yeah, plus, so, right? Yeah. I think the first thing was probably to be calling you uh, <laughs> as a... As a <laughs> Um, uh, the, the first thing I think we try to do, and again, like uh, uh, I know full well that it's easier for us because we are from the industry and, and we've been doing mm -hmm. this for years, right? But over hire as much as possible. Like don't do don't do short sighting of like this is the skill we need now, great. But if it's the skill you need now and you hire for the skill now, where's the person in six months, twelve months down the line? Because the overall goal is for your organization to go super fast. So try mm -hmm. to hire for like. Where do we want to be 18 months from now? And does that mean that the person is maybe not there or like he's going to have to do some stuff that sounds mundane, potentially? But then it's really are they engaged on what we're trying to build on? 
So overhired, we systematically overhired. I mean, we have people that probably shouldn't be working in this organization because they're, they're, they're better. They could be working in better organizations or bigger organizations, but they believe in the mission and what we're trying to achieve and everything. That's, that to me is the, the key part, overhired as long as, I mean, as, as soon as possible. Um, and, and it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. I mean, if you're successful, this is not supposed to last 10 seconds. This is supposed to last a long, long time. Um, so it's always better to have people that are like over skills and they're going to grow with the organization. Um, that's my first thing. The second thing is I always systematically find people that are going to disagree with me or at least feel that they can disagree with me. I don't need yes men or yes women. I mean, I like, I'm, I'm French. I already have the ego that tells me I'm right all the time. So I don't <laughs> need that. What I need is people that are like, you know, constructive uh, uh, criticism or like positive conflict. That's the best yeah. way to move forward. And I need people that are extremely good at what they do. Like we said, one area of expertise. I don't need 15. I need one. Three mm-hmm. good things, three things that they're good at. You know, the good T employee, right? You can yeah. support lots of things. You're extremely good at one thing, right? And then you disagree with me. Because if we're like smart enough in our way of disagreeing, that's how we get better and find better solutions. That's to me like the, the two main ones when you scale. 100%. It's interesting. I think Nate um, in the previous um, webinar touched on, you know, are you scaling for today or are you scaling for the future? Um, two very exactly. different mindsets. And I couldn't agree more uh, about building a team around you that um, can disagree and want to disagree. Um, I even made a joke in a leadership meeting we had earlier this week and said, oh, we all agree. That's boring. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like yeah. the, you know, the, the output of, uh, like you say, positive disagreement is, is very, very powerful. Yes. Cool. Next one. So what would you say is the biggest piece of BS um, when it comes to advice on on scaling teams, right? Everyone's got advice, recruitment, everyone's an expert. You've probably heard it all. But yeah, what's the the biggest piece of nonsense that you heard when it comes to scaling? I mean, when, when, you said, like, when you just said everyone is an expert, it's so true. When, when you sit down with hiring managers, I know how to do recruitment. I've recruited people for 15 years. You know what? I know how to cook. I do pasta. That doesn't make me a chef, right? There's a difference. Now, it, it's, uh, yeah. this is like, I mean, it's a job, right? So the first one, the first bullshit I hear all the time is like, yeah, hire fast, hire fast. That's, that's the dumbest thing you can do. I mean, that's really how you kill your organization because it's going to cost you so much money because it's like you're repeating the same mistake. You're not learning from it. So it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time because you keep on hiring. I mean, like recruitment is, is time consuming. It's like sourcing is extremely time consuming. The first chats you have in people, like especially at scaling, it usually takes longer because you want to make sure, right? Or you want to limit mm-hmm. risk. But then reputation. Who wants to work for an organization that has the reputation of like, yeah, this person worked there four months, three months, like churning, churning. That, that's, that's really bad. Like hire fast, fire fast, not a good idea. Um, I think like uh, it's something that uh, we would, we, we've been trying to be extremely careful with is like only using your personal network, only using people that you know or people that you that that know that you know them, right? Because it becomes incestuous. I think it goes very much with the, like you need to be pushed back and you need people that think differently, right? Um, I, I think we systematically have the tendency of using our network because it's safe um, and it's obviously I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a very good thing, but try not to limit yourself to only using uh, your network. Um, another one uh, I would say is something that uh, that we do a lot is uh, uh, you know the legacy. Oh, yeah, this person worked at Google. That's great. That's awesome. So first of all, there's probably a reason why they're not working at Google anymore. Number one, uh, and number two, just because you're at Google or Amazon or, or whatever makes you good for scaling. It's mm-hmm. a completely different game. We're not looking at the same sport here. Um, so mm-hmm. like legacy, high names. That's not always a good thing, right? Uh, the other thing I would even add to this is just because 
somebody has been in a, in a successful scale-up organization doesn't mean they're going to be good and successful in your organization, right? Mm -hmm. I think more and more people need to realize that taking references, it's taking something out of the context. You were good in that context. If you put me in a different team with different people, I'm probably not going to be good because this is the right environment for me. And then other environments, Revolut, I have lots of friends that, that still work at Revolut, was not a good environment for me. And I was not happy at Revolut, and, and that's why I left, right? So previous success is not systematically approved that this person is going to be a successful. I think the most important thing, again, um, it's like values, 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 values. Like drill down around what do you stand for, what's your mission? And, and once you have this right, then, then try to understand if the person is aligned. Makes perfect sense to me. And many people kind of discuss quite passionately that uh, the key to kind of innovation and productivity, particularly in early stage organizations, as we kind of leading to is hiring for culture ad rather yeah. than culture fit. Um, what are your thoughts on this particular topic? 100% agree with this. So <clears throat> we don't even use the term culture fit anymore. It makes me... Uh, I'm not going to say violently ill because it would be French and over there, but, uh, but I, I just think it's actually very discriminatory <clears throat> for a few reasons. Number one, do you want to keep on uh, fitting in, uh, in a certain environment, right? That means like you're not accepting anything that's not within the, the box, right? That's literally discrimination, right? Um, so I, I think it's never culture fit. It's culture act or it's culture alignment, right? Um, that's the first thing. Um, you can't fit in culture because culture is not static. If you want to fit, you fit in the mission statement. But mm -hmm. culture moves all the time. Like people, your values will evolve. Um, uh, like you would have asked me before I had kids, my values were very different than, than now. Before I had kids, it was only about career. Now, work-life balance is extremely important to me. So your values mm -hmm. will evolve, the culture will evolve. So how do you bring people that are going to add or, or align with that culture, right? That's, that's the key. You shouldn't try to reduce or like we need somebody that's exactly thinking like us because you're not going to go anywhere. You need to bring people that are going to challenge your status quo, question uh, your, your, uh, your values, your diversity of thoughts. And you probably want to have people that care for lots of different things. Like you can't have only people that care about structure. You probably want to have people that care about communication, teamwork, about diversity. And then you have a broad culture, a very encompassing culture. Then you can be more inclusive in your culture. Makes perfect sense. And I, I agree with the evolution of the values and behaviors that your organization aligns to that's an exercise we've done at least twice in the last couple of years um, and I think it probably needs sort of adjusting and fine-tuning um, again so totally agree so you've recently secured 2.3 million in fundraising so many congratulations um, how are you prioritizing what's next for the business and for your team and and what does that kind of process look like for you Right. Uh, yeah, we're happy. That's a good number. Um, so it's very much like a, it's 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 a race all the time, right? You just we oh, it's like I describe it best when uh, again I talk a bit sports, but uh, it's like uh, it's like the Premier League, right? And uh, do you want to qualify for the Champions League and then you get more money, or or like do you not finish in top four and then you play the UEFA and everything? It's the same for us. So <clears throat> I want to qualify for the Champions League again. So the next goal is for us to do a, a strong uh, Serie A. With the target is to do it uh, by the end of next year, Q4 2021. What do we need to go there? Using again, like we said earlier on, like you know, stepping back. 
Um, what we've done, I think, very smartly is that as soon as we were discussing with, uh, with the investors for this round, very early days, we realized, okay, we will get some sort of money. We don't know how much and everything, but we will get some. So we started hiring before we even closed the round because we knew the money was coming in. And like mm -hmm. this, we saved probably three, four months um, before the, like getting, getting on board people. We've hired like, I think, um, I think it's close to uh, uh, seven people in the, in the last four months. Uh, heavily on the tech and product because that's where we need to to really uh, uh, invest a lot of time and energy. We have the second version of our product that's coming in September. It's all about it's all about that launch. Once this is launched, then we're probably going to try to uh, obviously you know generate more and more revenue by uh, by. Uh, by, by selling the product. The product currently is at the MVP stage. People are using it. Uh, they're happy with the results, but now it's like upgrading the game with the new product. Perfect, makes good sense. I like that approach because you often see many companies kind of pause whilst they're out raising, then it takes months to gather momentum. Post money, you know, you've lost six exactly. months, maybe longer, exactly. so smart move. I like it a lot. Um, um, as we look at what's next and what the nature of this sort of new working environment might look like, um, why do you think having a pulse on what employees value is, is so critical and how can companies best use this type of information? I know we touched on it loosely for the hiring process, but it'd be interesting to hear your other thoughts on that. Completely. Um, so I, I think like... Uh, it's already um, hard in itself to understand what's important from people, the values and everything when they're sitting next to you, right? In the office mm -hmm. or around the coffee machine. People are not systematically genuine when they tell you this is important to me or not because I mean, that, that's who we are, right? Maybe some people are like very open books. Some people are just more reserved about what's important to them. So if it was difficult in the old world where we were all sitting in the office and everything, where like working remote was something but not systematic, if indeed the new world is remote first and everything, how difficult is it going to be to actually understand your people? Um, very, very, very difficult. It's difficult to build relationship when you do video calls, right? Um, so understanding and doing polls and, and trying to get the data around what drives my people, what are their values, it's critical. It's going to be even more critical um, in, in the new world, so to say. Um, and then how do you use this? Well, I believe you use this for every aspect of the talent lifecycle. Understanding what's important to your people, you use it for talent management, you use it for communication, you use it for investing your money. Should we spend money here? Should we spend money there? We, we've said about like using it for recruitment 100% because like you want to either align or create discrepancy of thoughts and then obviously for retention. So it's, it's, it's the core of the, the HR data that should be used for every aspect of HR. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned previously, this information isn't static. No, um, moves all say, the time. 20-year-old Matt, personal motivations are different to 30-year-old Matt, different to 40-year-old Matt, and actually sometimes the the move is, is far far quicker. It's not 10 years apart. It could be months, weeks, where kind of people have, have changes that, that make their, their drives different. Cool. So a slight change in direction. Um, do you think we're still in a candidate-driven market? Um, or as some are saying, we're shifting with a sudden increase in volume of people looking for work and jobs over the last few months. There's the argument that in-demand skills are always in-demand skills. Kind of where do you think we are on that, you know, uh, that balance, that seesaw yeah. that we experience as, as recruiters with supply and demand? 
I think we're still very much in a candidate market. I think we're always going to be in a candidate draw market because if you're good, you will always be in demand. I think nowadays, uh, even like more than even 10 years ago, there's more and more organizations that are looking for the same skills. There's always jobs. I mean, like people are saying, oh, people are not hiring anymore. I was doing recruitment in the last uh, big financial crisis. I'm sure you were as well. We were still hiring. We're still placing people. I mean, it's just that uh, you need to hire like bigger quality. That's all. So it will always be the candidate market. The fact that there's a lot of people on the markets is, to me, not uh, impacting uh, the, the fact that companies are looking more and more for, for good skills. And if you think about it, the fact that the new norm is apparently remote only, mm. I mean, uh, you're not even you're not even competing with the people around you anymore. You're competing with people that are based all over the world um, because you can work remote nowadays. So it's always going to be candidate driven. Um, and organizations are going to have to uh, to do hard work. The, the harder work now is going to be around detecting who's the right person for them in terms of skills and values. Yeah. And I think not having a mindset, regardless of the perceived seesaw, um, not having a mindset that it's a candidate-driven market, I think is a very dangerous thing anyway. Um, so I think it yeah. could affect subconsciously how you how you approach things. Um, I agree. Cool. Um, so what are the ways that you feel companies should be using their culture um, and sort of what their employees value when it comes to securing the right talent for teams today? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this one, I usually get pushed back uh, <laughs> when I answer this kind of question. But then again, as I said, I love positive company. Um, so... I think if you look at how companies are using their culture today or what they define as their culture today, and, and I think it's more the mission statement, is employer branding, right? Employer branding, in my mind, today is how do I lie to as many people as possible about my culture because I need them to apply to all my jobs? Uh, because recruitment is very much a numbers game as it is today, right? I need tons of people to apply to my job because then it's great. I can pick from different people. But mm -hmm. um, th there's a very hardcore data. It's 46% of people that are joining a new organization are gone within 18 months. 89% of those people is because of culture. And the reality of it is you advertise something that's not true, right? And usually, you know how it is. It's like, hey, we have a ping pong table. We do Friday bars and everything. That's not culture. Um, and if you need to have beer for your people to spend time together, there's probably actually something really wrong with your culture in the first place. Mm -hmm. But you advertise this. People are joining for this. Then they experience something that's completely different. The reality of it is your culture is not your mission statement. You need to understand your culture and what people are going to join. And I don't even think people should advertise the company culture because that's not what you're going to experience when you join an organization. You need to advertise what is the subgroup culture of the team that I'm going to join. That's what I'm going to. That's the experience I'm going to have around the culture of the organization. The fact mm -hmm. that the whole culture is like this, I don't care. That's not what I'm living through, right? Yeah, you can tell me that this is like, this is what we stand for and everything. But what I'm going to experience is this. If you don't advertise this then I'm going to be disappointed because it's not what I'm going to experience. Um, yeah. I think the new norm should be genuine, honest, authentic. That's that's what people want. People are tired of bullshit and programming. They really are. I agree. It's interesting. So your thought process is that many companies, when they do their employer brand project, EVP, hey, away we go, they're probably shooting themselves in the foot because they're yeah. doing it incorrectly. <laughs> 100%. Because I, I think they're like, how do we attract people? But that's the wrong thing. See, I always use, uh, and, and maybe that's like, uh, like kind of not safe for work, but I always use the, the dating analogy. Recruitment is dating, right? When you start mm -hmm. dating with somebody, it's all about the skills. How is the person flirting with me? How is the person kissing and everything? Why are people not staying together? Because of values. After mm -hmm. dating a while, you realize, you know what? We're not aligned on the values. Not this aligned. is not what yeah. I wanted. And it's exactly the same with recruitment. I like that, that thought process. 
Um, okay, so we're, wow, we're running out of time. Um, so let's go into a last couple of quick questions before we, we, we close out. So is there anything you listen to or watch for, uh, for inspiration that perhaps people listening or watching might be able to, to pick up on? So in recruitment, it's very much a, a recruitment brain food by Hungley. I'm sure like uh, everyone knows it already, but uh, uh, I read that one a lot because I think it's just uh, amazing material picking up from uh, from all the, everything that's online. I mean, uh, Hungley is super good at this. On HR, I don't really read or listen to anything in particular. I think I, I, I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn that post the interesting stuff. So I kind mm -hmm. of serve on that wave. Um, but I really think for me, my, my, my thought process is that we work with people, right? That's that's the, the industry win. So we can probably learn from from basically anything. I learned a lot from playing like a, like video game whenever I have time because I have two young kids. But Civilization Six is a game that really brought me a lot around like um, structuring a, a city together, right? And and that made me rethink how we sit people here currently in the office and what's the best way to sit people. I've been finishing a book recently uh, called. Uh, um, the, when when Plat, Plato and a platypus uh, walk into a bar, which is a, a very uh, uh, explaining around like early days philosophy using jokes and everything. And, and I bought this book for the team because it's good for critical thinking. And, and, and that's what we want in the team. The Last Dance on Michael Jordan uh, on, on Netflix has uh, given me the idea of bringing like actually a sports mental coach in the team because I think mm -hmm. that needs to have an impact for us. Because if you think about it, scaling, you're, you are a high performance sports team. You need to reach a goal, and 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 then there's the fatigue of performance, and and bringing somebody that's dealing with, like like you know high level athletes that do this on a daily basis, and they deal with with failure on a daily basis is probably what we need internally as well. So I think we can learn and use stuff from from all over, and and replicate it because we're lucky enough that our industry we're dealing with people. Yeah, and you and I were talking about the Michael Jordan thing yesterday. It's a great watch, um, and that kind of. Nice. Failure is the norm in a business, you know, at, at any stage, or at least it should be. And like you say, that that speed to recover um, yeah. is, is super important, right? Um, cool. What is the one thing, value, phrase, or, or statement that you, you live by? Uh, it's not really a sentence. I mean, yeah, more like a, a kind of a value, but uh, it's, uh, it's like I, I really think I just try to be a force of good. Um, in the sense of like, I mean, especially at the moment, we can look and put the TV on and we see the world is just a massive pile of shit. And I mm -hmm. think uh, uh, like on a daily basis, you probably have 1,000 opportunities to be a force of good. Could be like opening the door, could be like uh, helping somebody going up the stairs in the subway, could be like anything. And mm -hmm. I just try to be conscious of all those little opportunities. Um, and it's it's probably like for an ego thing about like trying to feel better about myself mm -hmm. as well. But the reason behind it doesn't really matter because I believe that good generates good. I think like helping somebody in the subway getting up the stairs, this person's going to be, wow, that's nice. They're probably going to try to do something as well. Uh, do, mm -hmm. and, and I think if we just be a force of good in the line of work, it's as simple as like, I've got tons of people just like you, I'm sure, reaching out to me on LinkedIn, like for jobs, for like advice or whatever. And, and I, I used to be a, a dick, I think, and just delete and not reply. And now I actually like book 30 minutes per day. And when I'm at home and the kids are sleeping, I just try to reply to everyone because... Mm -hmm. Even if it's a no, at least it's a reply. And, and it's, it's just something that's better than just, you know, like ghosting people. So I just, yeah, that, that's what I, what, what I try to, to stand for. It's just be a force of good. You have the potential of being a force of good every day around you. Just be a force of good. I like that. It's very Thank cliche, but, but it's, I don't yeah. think so. No, I think it's really good. Um, and, you know, like you say, small acts of kindness, it kind of has a, a cumulative effect, right? So um, I like that very much. 
So thanks very much for talking to us this morning, Thank Nico. You. I think we could, we, could, uh, we could probably carry on for another half an hour, but I think Laura would shut yeah. us down um, and we should probably go and run our companies. <laughs> um, but thanks again. Some really solid advice there. Um, real honest um, pieces of opinion that I think founders and business leaders can, can choose to take on board or, or otherwise. I hope. Um, some of the sort of points you covered around what culture of values really are and how they should be measured on both a sort of wider and company individual basis are so, so important. Yeah. Um, especially when we consider the impact of kind of hiring for culture ad over culture, culture fit, particularly that dynamic that is super important when you're hiring in early stage organizations and the fact that, you know, what's going to happen in the, I hate these buzz phrases, you know, the future of work, people being remote and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So probably more important to have a, a finger on the pulse and an understanding now more than ever. Mm -hmm.